0: Good morning, Mike, and welcome to today's episode of One Step Ahead. Well, we'll co-create this. Uh, You just heard from Kim Leary. This is Mike Wheeler here, and this is One Step Ahead, where Kim, with her focus on adaptive leadership and my interest on agile negotiation, nicely meet in the middle I know that we've got some ground to cover, but uh, I just want to say that I'm enjoying this fall weather and looking forward before too long of visiting our younger daughter's family up in Vermont. What do you have coming up, Kim? Kim?
1: Well, I have the pleasure of a couple of meetings in western Massachusetts this month, so I'm looking forward to seeing the leaves as they transform into their splendor.
0: You're also going to look at a lot of license plates because there are a lot of so-called leaf peepers out this time of year. Right. Right now, though, we're going to have the pleasure of talking to um, my Harvard Business School colleague, Mike Luca, and Mike has a book coming out soon on experimenting as an important managerial skill leadership skills so some of those experiments have to do with negotiation Uh, many of them have to do with changing policy and changing focus so i'm looking forward to hearing more about his forthcoming book and particularly a brand new course he launched last year on experimenting for our mba students
1: pretty exciting
0: well onward So it's Mike and Kim on One Step Ahead, but we have another Mike with us today, Kim, my colleague Mike Luca, who has taught and invented a course, actually, and the formal title, is the word experiment in the title, Mike?
2: It is from data to decisions the role of experiments.
0: And Kim this ties so nicely to your work in adaptive leadership. Can you explain to people the connection?
1: Absolutely. When we think about exercising leadership, it's often bringing people together to address a collective problem where no one stakeholder has the solution. You have to engage people, mobilize them to work together, and Often the way you're doing that is devising experiments to see what progress is possible. So please tell us about a course that puts designing experiments right at the center of developing effective leaders.
2: So this is a topic I've been thinking about for a while. And the thing that I got excited about is we've seen experiments in research for a long time, so kind of randomized control trials. Well, what I've noticed is, over the last few years, so we've seen a real transition in industry and government where leaders are increasingly using randomized control trials as a piece of the leadership toolkit to inform the decisions that they are making. Max Bazerman and I actually started a book a few years ago that's now coming out in March of 2020, The Power of Experiments. And the topic of the book is the way experiments help to inform managerial decision-making. Mm-hmm. That's a
1: different Framing of experiments, it, it, we, we think of them as advancing knowledge. But you're suggesting that in order to make progress on collective problems, that people leaders need to have the capacity to design experiments themselves. But
0: help me help me out a little bit, Mike, because this isn't entirely a new thing. You think about a company that is imagining um, a new approach, whether it's branding or what they supply. They might try a pilot. They might not roll it out nationally. They might try it in a particular region and so forth. I have a sense, at least in degree, you're talking about something different from that. Is that correct?
2: So I think there are related ideas, but uh, to give an example of the type of thing I have in mind, Google now runs more than 10,000 experiments per year. So randomized control trials that range from how do they design their advertising ecosystem to what search order the results should come in.
1: And do they frame those as experiments?
2: So they have a team that kind of helps to design these experiments. Uh, so Uber also has a team that tests everything from wait time to kind of when they roll out a new product. So maybe I could give a concrete example. of That'd be great. Yeah. So Uber has a has a large team. So they have a few teams actually that are all designed around this, trying to think about how experiments might inform their managerial decisions. So to give one concrete example, Uber Express Pool, maybe you've taken it? Yes, I have. Right. Do you prefer Express Pool or do you do regular Uber? Are
0: you doing a little research here,
2: Mike? Yeah, a little market research to <laughs> so try to get a sense.
1: I've tried both, but I think I like the regular Uber.
2: it. Yeah, okay. What do you think, Mike?
0: Um, I'm on Lyft. Thank you very much.
2: Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, And so Max and I disagree. So I like regular Uber and Max is a big Uber Express pool person. Uh, But this is a question that Uber needed to think about, right? At the highest level. So they've got a set of products that are already operating in a market. Should they launch this Express pool? So for people who don't know what Express pool is, it's basically a combination of Uber pool and Uber Express. So you kind of carpool with people, but you also walk a little bit to go to a spot that makes it easier for them to pick you up.
1: Now. My students love this express pool.
2: Okay. Yeah. yeah, so it's so I think there are people who think kind of this is a large part of the future of a platform like Uber. Is so just a lot more efficient if you could have three people in the car than just having one person for every ride that's happening. But now the question that Uber I've been facing is do you roll this product out or uh, or is it going to cannibalize some of the other products that you have? So you can imagine if everybody switches to Express Pool, it may be challenging if you're losing kind of a lot of the business from Uber X or Uber uh, Comfort or whatever other set of Uber products are offered in a given city. So then they need to decide how do they make this decision? What are the data points that they need to gather?
0: Say more in terms of who looks at that data and whether people construe it in the same way.
2: Well, so they've got a team of of very excellent uh, data scientists. Uh, actually, um, I should say I'm a little bit biased here. One of my doctoral students now heads one of these teams essentially what they do is they run a series of experiments that are at a bunch of different levels. So like when they're deciding Uber Express Pool, the first thing they started thinking about is let's look at some of our historical data. And I think that's kind of always been part of the decision-making right. process. You know, do people seem to say that they want this new product? Do people seem very responsive to longer wait times uh, or are people pretty much okay with that? Then what they did, and I think this is what you were getting at, my... They, did a pilot where they kind of rolled it out in a couple of cities just to see does this work or does this, like, does anything break if we try rolling it out? But then what they wanted is something that was more of a systematic randomized control trial. So they took some of their largest cities and said, okay, well, there's a small set of cities they care about the most. I said, let's roll it out in six randomly selected cities and then track both what's happening to Uber Express Pool and use a set of what people call synthetic controls, um, kind of looking at other cities to see how the products are evolving in the treatment cities versus control cities to see both are people using this product, but also is it crowding out some of the other products that they were using. And after that experiment, then they decided, let's roll this out and run a bunch of A-B tests to kind of refine the product over time.
1: I'm thinking of your student who's now running one of these teams, which is quite an exciting role to have. And I'm wondering, Mike, if you see right now in in the world that we're in, is there a difference between being data-sensitive or data-driven and having an experimental mindset or running
2: experiments? So – So this is something that we thought about a lot in designing the course. So I designed this course this past year. This is your second year MBA course. Yeah, so this is a second year MBA course. and the thing that I was thinking about is all of our MBA students should really be thinking like experimentalists. So really be thinking, okay, how do I work with data? What could go wrong if I just look at correlations that kind of come my way? And how can I use experiments to help inform my decisions, Uh, both to kind of understand what new products or policies we might be doing, but also, to help build toward larger frameworks for a company or a government to kind of think about as they're moving forward.
1: Aside from quantitative skills, are there other kinds of leadership qualities that you think promote this way of working?
2: So one thing that I think is a lot of people underappreciate is just that it's hard to know what's going to happen when you do something. So I think having a little bit of humility that it's like if you think something is going to work, it may still not work. And I think that leaders that, that are able to get the most from experiments are able to kind of recognize that they don't have all the answers and, say, sh- and ask a question about, should we be spending time debating whether or not this is going to work, or should we just let the data tell us that it's going to work? So it's not the data skill itself, but it's more the recognition that data should supplement their intuition and that their intuition can be flawed. Mm
1: -hmm. So the kind of challenge you're talking about for which an experiment is a good approach is where you don't necessarily know the outcome. That's the reason you're running the experiment. And you have to have the technical capacity and skill and chops, but the humility and the willingness to listen to perspectives that may not line up to what you hoped that's key.
2: Yeah, that's, I think, a central part of having a good kind of experimental mindset is just knowing that something may not work and having the uh, willingness to be open to being wrong about but, your guess. But, but
0: what I wonder about here with both of you is that sort of assumes that the, that the entity, the person, the organization that's looking at the data, monolithic. So I can imagine a situation, Kim, where you are doing the Uber Express thing and there's data that shows you can really grow this. But I'm responsible for something that is on the losing side of that equation because business is moving from me to you. So I'm wondering whether you see that, Mike, whether it comes up in your course or, or whether it happens in the field. It's good news for some people, not so good news for others. What happens then?
2: So this is a fascinating question and actually one of the things that motivated me to develop the course. So the fact that there are a bunch of times where we don't know the answer. And there are a bunch of times where even if we know the answer, we may not agree on how to move forward on something.
1: That would be the definition of an adaptive challenge.
2: Yeah, exactly. So now thinking about that, uh, stepping into an organization, the way that I think about it in my class is if you want to go in different directions, and it's because you have different values or different preferences, that's a discussion you would have and that you could bet into kind of other leadership discussions. But if you're moving in different directions because you don't even agree on what the right set of data points you should be looking at are, then that starts to be a concern and that's how kind of experiments can help to inform your decision. Um, the way that I think about uh, randomized control trials in organizations is actually a real opportunity to talk about these things. Um, maybe I could just refer ret- to turning to... Please, please, So in Airbnb, when we had done this work on discrimination, one of the things that was sort of lurking in the background is that everybody had different preferences for kind of how much to weight growth, how much to weight having a bias-free marketplace. And without experiments, it's just sort of implicit in the discussions that they're having. But by baking kind of systematic data and experimentation into the process, it allowed them to be more explicit around how much do we really value this and then see the data and match their actions to the evidence that was coming in.
0: When you're looking outside at some firm, and it might be Uber, it might be Airbnb, that's one thing. But last year was the first time you offered the course. Is that correct? Yes. So you're experimenting, too. And the way it works at the Harvard Business School is it's a fixed economy in the first year. Every student takes exactly the same class with exactly the same classmates. It's a completely free market in, in the second. Courses develop over time. This was your first time out. Was it an experiment, Mike? And did you design it as an experiment in terms of what you were trying to learn about what students would find salient and, and engaging?
2: So... All right, so some it was hes- a,
0: some hesitation there. well
2: so it wasn't a randomized control trial <laughs> right. yeah. but if we had yeah. an
0: alternative universe we could do that yeah right?
2: I, there's no counterfactual where I don't run the course <laughs> thankfully uh, yeah because the course is a lot of fun so basically kind of the the way that I was thinking about it going in there was a lot of learning up front I tried to understand what's the landscape of courses offered both at HBS and more broadly in the business school ecosystem I think a lot of schools are starting to think okay evidence is is important data is important we should be teaching about rcts um and rcts randomized control trials okay, so good. people should be thinking about experiments uh, more systematically in business school curricula so i think that there's a lot of agreement around that and actually so uh, some colleagues from other schools and i had hosted a one-day workshop on how should we think about teaching experiments to mba students because okay. you wouldn't want to teach prototyping it. Prototyping, exactly. So probably a lot of the things you think about it, building evidence and making decisions in other contexts, but... I didn't want to teach it the same way I would teach a doctoral course because they're looking to do something different. You wouldn't want to teach it the way you teach an undergrad course because they're looking to do something different. So the discussion we had is what are the key elements for MBA students to know when they're kind of walking away? Like, what do they need to know about experiments and how is that going to feed into their decisions? I would say my course was really a decision-making course where you're thinking about how to bake experiments into decision-making. So what's going wrong in other decision-making? How can this improve it? And what are some of the things that you should be thinking about?
0: I I understand. Uh, But, you know, I taught my MBA negotiation course for many years, just doing executive teaching now. And I would always change the course. I'd experiment. I don't know how wise my changes were, but I would always want to try something new. If it's not broke, break it, was sort of my adage. And some things worked and some things did not. I don't know if. I could have been more systematic on that but I understand that you've got leave this year Mike but next year when you're teaching it again what will you do differently what did you learn from your from your first go around
2: Yeah so I think so I, I hope that I learned something for the first <laughs> round. And so the class was a lot of fun. The things that I wanted to bring more to the forefront next time uh, would be even more of so some of the managerial decisions. So to give kind of one concrete example is how do you tie incentive pay to experimentation?
1: Mm-hmm. It also sounds like in looking at data and, and decision making, that you're really exposing your students to the fact that the data will tell them something much more nuanced than they could have appreciated on their own, but they're still gonna have to make the decisions on what the right trade-offs are.
2: That's exactly right. So I, I think that there's sometimes an intuition, especially in the tech sector, where it's like, if you're an executive, do you just kind of get a pass and say, experiments are doing my my kind of tweaking of things, but I don't really need to think about it. And I think that's a dangerous intuition to have, because I think that leads you down a road where you have a very narrow set of goals and just are letting kind of algorithms and experiments make all the decisions for you.
1: Right. And in in some ways, what you're saying is that the decisions might be bigger and even more complex when we have more data to inform the underlying economy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And without kind of an understanding of how experiments should kind of feed into your decisions, you could kind of really go astray with some of these decisions. There are some big companies that have left a lot of money on the table from not running experiments earlier.
0: So, so Mike, I I am so grateful that you could come over. I know that we had a short window today. You've raised a lot of um, interesting issues here and the good news for our listeners is that you've got a book coming out very soon. Title
2: again is? The Power of Experiments.
0: And it's MIT Press. And you're doing it with our friend and colleague, Max Bazerman, who's a wonderful collaborator I I know. Kim and then, Mike, last words on this? Exciting
1: work that you're doing, Mike. And I look forward to hearing more about how this translates to other kinds of decision making, including public decision making.
2: Thank you so much for having
1: me. Let's remind people about how they can chat with us and with their fellow listeners on our Negotiation 360 website.
0: Well, it's not just the chat that they can have with us and other listeners, but there are other resources uh, on the site. Uh, You can find my Negotiation 360 self-assessment and best practice app. There are links to online courses, and we're putting up articles that you and I have written together and maybe some others as well. So there's lots of stuff on agile negotiation and adaptive leadership. Much of it is free. We've even simplified the URL for podcast
1: listeners. Here's how to find us. Just key in the letter N, as in negotiation, and the numbers 360.expert. That's n360.expert and you'll find us.